What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster T.O. and Phantom Podcast. It is Tuesday morning, September 28th. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined again by Terrence Oglesby and the man, John Fanta. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. What we got? Official practice starts tomorrow. We're getting closer. The storylines are about to start coming out. Life's good over, uh, I guess, down south compared to where you guys are at. I'm here in South Carolina. You guys are the New England gents. But uh, everything's good down here. Excited to get going. Life is great in New Jersey. Hey, we talked last week at the end of the show about the logistics with the Big East schedule. And, hey, it came out at the end of last week. So, guys, you just can feel it. I just saw a tweet yesterday that the AP Top 25 poll comes out Monday, October 18th. I'm counting down the days to that. Now I want to see what, what the rankings look like, what the national writers think about uh, the whole landscape. It's going to be the best season that we've had in this sport. I keep seeing the NFL put out those ads every week. Best season ever because they made it one more game. They've got Brady this week returning to Foxborough. They've got other big-time matchups along the way. College basketball, if they do an advertisement this year, it should be best season ever because you have all these kids coming back. A lot of exciting matchups. And, oh, by the way, the legend of the game, Mike Krzyzewski, with one last trip. So I'm so excited for this season. I really am. I don't know if it's because of the way that last season played out and the fact that we didn't have fans. It was just such a weird uh, 2020. Like not, not just with college basketball, across the entire planet. Like we, we all know what's going on. Um, but I've never been this fired up for the start of a college basketball season. Uh, before we kind of get into the talk, though, Terrence, I do want to ask you. You played basketball for a long time at a lot of different levels on a lot of different teams in a lot of different places. I want your biggest horror story when it comes to the preseason conditioning. Because right now, I still get a little bit of PST, uh, PTSD when it comes to like that first week of practice, knowing what we had to do to try to get in shape for the season. So I want to know your worst conditioning story. I love when you're in high school, too, and everybody's like, yeah, we got conditioning, and you only do conditioning for like a week leading up to the season. Like, <laughs> that's not really conditioning. But uh, I will say this. Whenever I was playing, I played in the Republic of Georgia for a year, which I loved Republic of Georgia, even though, you know, it had its difficulties. But we would have conditioning during the middle of the season because you have Orthodox Christmas, which is in mid-January, and then you have, uh, I, I, you know, we, my family celebrates Christmas in December, so we'd be about a month gap in between. So I would go home for Christmas, come back to Georgia. We would practice in January in the morning. We'd, we'd go through the Caucasian mountains. We would run about seven miles, go back to practice. Everybody would have to shoot 500 shots from all different spots on the floor. We'd go home for three hours, eat lunch, take a quick nap, and then you'd have practice again. Those three weeks in January 
were the worst that I've ever been, been around because one, you're running outside for those miles in January in the mountains. It was freezing. It was hard to breathe. And you know, it was hard to stay healthy too, because the food, just going to be honest, boys, probably wasn't what it needed to be in order to keep like a big, like what you would consider a professional athlete going because the food just wasn't great either. But it was brutal. You lose a ton of weight. I, overseas training camps, anybody who's played overseas, I'm sure Hummel will tell you too, like they are brutal when it comes to just running in the woods. Running in the woods. What did you do? I mean, like how did you – You just keep, did it. How did you keep yourself sane? You, well, I had my wife and I was trying to keep her sane. That's how I kept sane <laughs> because she wasn't able to see everybody and be with everybody. So, like, I would come home and then, you know, I'd have to, you know, play the calm guy once I got there. But it was uh, – <laughs> it, it was it was tough. It was tough. And then it's funny, like, when you get six or seven years in, you start to, like, realize this is where I can relax a little bit as opposed to, like, you know, when you train here, it's like I'm going to go hard as I can for an hour. Or I'm going to go hard as I can for an hour and a half, be done for the day. No, it's it's an all-day job over there for a couple of places. So it's uh, Georgia in particular. I actually got there. Look at this one, Dustin. Look at that language. <laughs> Player of the year, 2015, in that country. So I had, I had a good year. It was fun. But those uh, training camps were brutal. <laughs> I don't I don't have anything quite that bad. But uh, when I was in college, the um, we had to run a two mile in under 12 minutes to be able to to basically be on the team. And there was one year where it was raining too hard outside to go run the two mile in, in, um, in the preseason. And so we had to run it on the track that was above the gym, which was basically just a, a loop the size of a basketball court. So we had to run that loop like. 96 times to be able to get to <laughs> and it was so small that like I felt like I was getting dizzy while I was running yeah. around this thing I've never like that that was the one where it's like okay I understand why running is like a mental thing more than anything else because I never more just wanted to jump over that ledge and say all right look I'm done end it I'm over I'm oh, yeah, over <laughs> I've lived enough life all right yeah. so we're gonna do I'm sorry go ahead Fanta no I high school football 600s but that doesn't even compare to running in the mountains, you know, so you got to make, you got to make 600 yards in however many seconds. And I was a left guard who was always near the bottom of the barrel in that category. So let's just say there were a couple retakes along the way. And my high school football field was right across the street from a Wendy's. <laughs> We're just doubling down. At least you can see like the reward. At least you yeah, can see the reward. Yeah, exactly. Right. I had a double stack after making time. <laughs> uh, I remember there was one time one of the kids on our, our team uh, when we were doing like conditioning uh, he there was the the locker room we were outside on the track and there was the locker room right next to the field and he finished a lap or he was coming around for his final lap and instead of like running to finish he just ran off to the locker room because he uh he had to use the bathroom let's just yes. leave it that way last second so um, all right so we're going to do a little bit of a mailbag episode today we had some questions come in um and there wasn't a lot to talk about so we just figured we'd ask you guys for questions and answer them because we're we're the alleged experts so the first question that i have is uh if you are starting a college basketball program this year and you can pick just one player to start that program who are you picking and why fanta i'm going to you first on this one 
Yeah, I've got it. And, and I actually think some folks might be surprised about this because there might be some arguments that he is not the best player on his team, but I want a winner. I want someone who does a little bit of everything. And I want a kid that I think is going to only be better, which is saying a lot. I'm going to go with Jame Jaquez from UCLA. Uh, I know that this might be a bit of a different choice, but the six foot six wing impresses me so much in the way that he plays the game. He plays it the right way. Back to the basket, he can beat you with his shot. He can get by you as well. And he defends. He defends. I mean, the way that he defended alongside Johnny Juzang last year, it was Mick Cronin basketball to a T. And I think Hakez is is a guy who's only going to hop on NBA draft boards this year. I, I just love the way that he plays the game, guys. And so – I'm going to go maybe what some might think is, wow, that's the first player that you chose. But I just think Kame Hakez plays the game like a winner. Uh, so that's who I'm going to go with heading into this season. I love, I love Jaime Hakez. I love him. Um, I, I actually, we're going to get into this a little bit tomorrow. That's a tease, uh, Terrence, but I would have him as a first team preseason All-American. All right, you go ahead, T.O. Let me know who you got. Well, in a perfect world, you'd have these guys for four years. But I've talked to several coaches, and I talked to Will Wade, who I'm still a big fan of, regardless of what all's been going on. But he said, as long as your one position and your four position are good, you're going to be in good shape. So that being said, in a perfect world, you'd like to keep them for four years. You're not going to do that, obviously. But I'm going with a four-man who I think is going to be a first-team All-American and ACC Player of the Year in Paolo Banquero. I think this guy is such a stud. And, Dalster, you put something on Twitter yesterday. Some of the stuff that he's able to do at about 6'10", 255, 260 pounds is asinine. I mean, he's had a couple of clips that have come out of Duke's training camp that have been ridiculous with him handling the ball up top, coming off pick and rolls, and making some of these across-the-body skip passes that you really have to read the second line of defense in order to do that. You can be so versatile in what you run offensively with a good four-man, and especially with a good four-man that can handle the ball, a little bit like Jaquez at UCLA. And I'm just going to be honest with you, Fanta, I think he's the best player on UCLA's team. He's not the most important player on UCLA's team. That belongs to the point guard and Tiger Campbell. But I think he's the best player on UCLA team. But I think whenever you have a versatile four-man who can just continue to create offense and he's going to be that good defensively too because physically he's just going to be so dominant, that's who I would start with. That being said, I'm only going to get him for a year. I'm talking in hypothetical terms. In a perfect world, I'd like to start my team with him and have him for four years. Well, I I just want to know, do you have like a a camera in here or something? Are you like able to see my screen? Because literally my notes are uh, Jaime Jaquez is the best player on UCLA's team. And I would take Paolo Bancaro to be the guy that started my my program in college basketball this year. You mentioned it's only for one year. But it's also, as soon as that dude ends up being the number one pick, you're going to get the next Paolo Bancaro next year right um the only other thing that i will say is the other guy i had written down was drew timmy and that's because i think you will be able to get him for maybe two maybe three years i think he Mm -hmm. is a little bit like i've made this comparison before a little bit like luca garza in the sense that he's super talented he's going to be a national player of the year candidate he's going to score a ton of points but because of some of the defensive limitations and the fact that you know he's kind of like a, a a throwback five man uh, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be all that high on uh, the the draft boards for NBA teams. So I think you could end up getting Timmy for a while. And if you're going to get a guy, he's probably going to be the preseason national player of the year 
heading into his sophomore a sophomore season. Yeah, sophomore season. So if you can get that guy for two years, that's that's not a bad way uh, to start your program. All right, same question. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Fanta. Well, I just was curious. This this sprung my thought. Um, I'll ask you this, T.O. With Gonzaga and Timmy, uh, who I think has some flaws, but I think he'll only get better, like Rob said. But what do you think the dynamic there is and the key uh, to Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren playing alongside each other here now? Well, I think one of the best things about Timmy's game is he's such a smart kid who passes the ball so well, too. And really what he is, he's a versatile five-man in the college game in today's game. So that's not going to translate to the NBA to go along with what Dowster said. But what it does is it allows Gonzaga to space the floor and run offense from the outside in because he's such a good passer. I think the dynamic between him and Holmgren is going to be pretty easy because what happens, and you saw it a little bit with Jalen Suggs last year, because Timmy was so good and such a pressure release for some of these younger players, it allowed those guys to flourish to their fullest capacity. And you saw it with Suggs, and you're going to see it with Holmgren this year, and they're going to be able to run a lot of cool stuff for Holmgren because he is so versatile uh, shooting the basketball from three, not to mention Gonzaga is going to have five guys that can get a rebound and go. Timmy has showed that ability to get a rebound and ignite the break. Holmgren has been known to do that for a long time. Gonzaga is just going to be as good as ever. And I just, uh, I'm a little bitter that they're still playing. And there's just no knock against, you know, their conference. But, you know, Pepperdine had two guys that were really good last year, but even they couldn't compete. And I, I, I do wish that they would join a bigger conference, maybe the Pac-12 or something in a basketball only capacity a la Notre Dame. But, uh, I think the dynamic's going to work out well because I think they're both very unselfish kids and Timmy's going to make it happen. I, I think he has the mental capacity to be able to do that. Yeah, I think more than anything, I'd just be worried about what happens on the defensive end, right? Like, I don't know if you want Timmy necessarily guarding on the perimeter. And I mean, Chet, you need him at the rim. He's such a great rim protector. You want him down there, but he's also, you know, his his shoulders are about as broad as a mic stand. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's it's... We'll see what happens on the defensive end. But, I mean, look, Gonzaga went 31-0 and or whatever it was last season, um, and they came within uh, one dominant Baylor performance of winning a national championship and going undefeated, and they had some of the same defensive question marks last year. So, uh, at some point, when you're just that good offensively, maybe that's what it is. All right, I want to ask you guys the same question, but instead we're going with head coaches. Uh, T.O., I'm going with you first. I'm riding first class on the must bus, baby. Arkansas's head coach, Eric Musselman, I love the energy, the type of player he brings in. When you're hiring a first time, if I'm an AD, I'm hiring a coach for the first time. I need somebody who gets it, not only with the X's and O's, but in, but understands it with the fanfare. He understands how to get people engaged. He understands the dynamic in a university because you saw what he was doing. This is Arkansas, where he's trying to sneak into Arkansas's game. Have we seen this nonsense? We know that he's going to sit on wherever he wants to sit in that entire stadium, but he's promoting. He understands. He understands uh, the booster club. He understands the fans. And I kind of, if I were to pick a roster, I would pick a roster exactly the way he's been doing it bunch of tough-minded individuals, big, strong bodies, and a lot of guys that you don't like to play against in a half-court offense, whether that be Chris Likes at Miami, who gets underneath point guards, whether that be Odise Tony, transfer from Pitt, who's a big, strong, physical guy that makes everything difficult. I love the way Arkansas is put together. I love the way he engages the fan base, and I love and I love the way – how he embraces campus life. He's one of the best there is. And quite frankly, 
He's one of the few coaches in the country that really embraces an online presence to get in fans' living rooms. And at Arkansas, where they haven't been great until he got there, that brings that fan interaction to another level. Yeah, that dude must have a degree in marketing or something because he really understands how to how to get people to pay attention to him and pay attention to his program. Fanta, who are you going with? So the question is, I pick a coach for one season, right? No, to build your program, not just one season, to, to develop a program over the years. Yeah, if I were going to pick a coach today to develop a program over the years, I'm going to pick the man who has gone 233 and 45 over the last eight seasons. The man who has won two national championships out in the last five at a small Catholic school 17 miles outside of Philadelphia, and that's Jay Wright of Villanova. Jay Wright has mastered what it means to build a program in today's college basketball. He gets old, he stays old, and he is able to breed these kids. He, he finds the right fit while also finding talent. His mm-hmm. recruiting identity is off the charts. Villanova just gets a four-star recruit this week, Brendan Housen, who's a sharpshooter. I was told by a, a recruiting analyst that he is tough as nails, ultimate competitor. That fits Jay Wright's style. They already have Mark Armstrong, another four-star, coming in next year. And, oh, by the way, this year they brought in perhaps the best recruiting class in Jay Wright's two decades at the helm. He is 59 years old, guys. He's won two national championships, and they are only speeding up. Like, there's no slowing down at Villanova. And we talk about fits. Villanova has a really great living in the Big East. They are the top team, the unquestionable top team. There are thoughts that if UConn can get rolling, that UConn certainly can out-recruit Villanova, but can they catch Villanova in terms of wins? Can they do that? What Kansas had in the Big East or in the Big 12 for, what, a dozen years where they won the Big 12 every year, like Villanova has already done that over the last eight years. They've only lost the conference regular season one time. They're going to keep on winning this thing. They're going to win the Big East this season. They have the best team in the conference. And he just keeps on churning out great players, three- or four-year guys, guys that get to the NBA. They've had eight NBA draft picks over the last six years. Like that, For Villanova University to be doing that, they had two the previous 15. It's just amazing to see the rise of a program that, that does not have the resources that an Arkansas has. It's like, seriously, that's, that's the case. They don't have FBS football, and he keeps winning – and I do think that Jay Wright is going to win at least another national championship. And he just got inducted in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame this summer. Plus, he has great suits. You can all, you always got to trust a guy that has great suits. Um, but yeah. I just want to let you just just so both of you guys know, you're you're both you're both wrong. That's not the first guy that you would go with to be able to start a program. Right now, it's Jawan Howard. Why would you go with anybody else? Does any, has anyone gotten more buzz on the recruiting trail of late? than Jawan Howard. Is there anybody in college basketball right now that is cooler? How many people can open up his phone, turn on FaceTime, and be able to get someone like a Dwayne Wade on FaceTime, be able to get someone like a LeBron James on FaceTime? How many people have spent time on benches and in locker rooms that when, when they won NBA titles? How many people can say that, right? How many people can say they understand what it's like to be the face of a sport as a 19-year-old when he was with the Fab Five? 
And look what he's doing on the recruiting trail already. He's getting in, he's bringing in five stars. He's bringing in McDonald's All-Americans. Some of them are related to him. Not all of them are related to him. So, uh, and I also think he's proven it on the court as well. How good has Michigan been the last two years? They've been the best team in the Big Ten the last two years. And the Big Ten has been utterly dominant the last two years. So um, I I just, I I love what he's doing with that program. What I will say is this, if you want to come at me and say that he's only doing that because he's Juwan Howard and he's at Michigan, then okay, I get that. Then I'm just going to go with Scott Drew. That man turned Baylor into a national champion. (laughs) Baylor into a national champion. That's all you got to say. So that's where I'm at with it. All right. We did have a question come in uh, from Tristan Freeman at hoops, not three fifty one. Uh, he runs busting brackets, if you guys don't know. So he's asking you, Terrence, we heard your bold take and your bold claim about Virginia Tech finishing second in the ACC last week. Between Florida State, Duke, and North Carolina, who do you have the most concern about? I like Duke. I think that's a, that's first and foremost. Palo Bancaro is the best player in the conference, maybe in the country. So let's just go ahead and wipe the slate clean there. They have older guards this year. Wendell Moore is finally going to get it together and be the third option on offense, a la Andre Iguodala. So you're going to be able to, to for him to have a much more successful season, hopefully without the terrible first 11 games like he had last year. If he averages 12 points a game, he'll be good. Uh, I think the intriguing thing about this team is Jeremy Roach is actually going to play the point guard. Last year, they had kind of, what was it, Goldwire transferred to Oklahoma. They had some guys that it was a weird fit, and they didn't really understand who was supposed to get the ball in some of these semi-break situations. I think role definition is important for Duke, but I do think overwhelmingly they're going to be really talented, not to mention Trevor Keels, not to mention A.J. Griffin. I have them picked to win the conference for their first ACC regular season crown since 2009, I think it was. We talked about it last week. But I – FSU and UNC are toss-ups. North Carolina is going to be playing probably the same style, but with different parts. There's going to be a lot of moving parts for North Carolina. And and quite frankly, they're going to take away one of their biggest strengths by bringing some of these stretch foremen out. Their biggest strength has been offensive rebound for the longest time. You're going to take that out of the equation at Carolina when you bring in Brady Manning. Now, Dawson Garcia might still be able to charge the offensive glass, but you're going to bring those guys out and try to create more space for Caleb Love and uh, uh, point guard. Uh, point guard. Help me out. Point guard. Caleb Get Love. From, uh, Archbishop Stepney. What's his name? R.J. Davis. Excuse me. Gosh, I should never forget that. R.J. Davis. They're going to open up the floor for them more, but what they're doing is, even though those guards are going to be living good, it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to make up for some of those mistakes. Now, Carolina, traditionally, that first to second year, that's when the guards make a huge jump. But I think the fact that Carolina's taking away one of their biggest strengths in order to make up for a weakness, that makes it interesting for me. I still think talent-wise, talent Carolina's going to finish third. I think they're going to be right there in it. I don't see Virginia Tech losing the easy ones because of Mike Young. And they have enough shooting around the perimeter – around Kive Aluma, who I have as a third-team All-American, I have they have enough shooting around him for him to operate, and they have guys at every position, and the pieces just fit. That's the reason I like Virginia Tech so much. Not to mention Storm Murphy is one of those explosive scorers, a little bit like Jalen Cohn, but better player. And, you know, Jalen Cohn was a good player in his own right, but he played off the ball. Storm Murphy is very similar, but he plays on the ball, and it's going to add an added element to their offense – because last year they had Wabisa, Wabisa Betty, Beatty, who ends up he, – he's out of basketball now. He's coaching. 
but he couldn't shoot the ball that well. So guys could sag off of him and it could inhibit some offense. I think Mike Young's going to have a lot to work with. So I really like Virginia Tech. Florida State, they've got some guys, but I'm not sure they have the top-end talent that they've had. They're still going to be deep. They're still going to pressure. I just think the consistency, from a consistency standpoint, Virginia Tech's going to be able to do it all season, and there's, there's not going to be much of a drop-off because the skill level's so high and because they're so old. Yeah, I, I agree with you on on almost all of that. Um, I'm a, I think I'm a little bit higher on Florida State just because I think at this point, Leonard Hamilton just – I mean, that's that's a machine. We know exactly what they're going to end up being. They're going to be this team that has nine dudes that are all between six foot six and six foot eight with seven foot 11 wingspans that can guard one through five that are going to be tough defensively that are going to play that kind of like matchup switching, whatever you, however you want to match up zone, switching, however you want to phrase it. And they're just going to be a nightmare to score against. Now, I don't know where they're going to get offense from. That's going to be something that I think we need to figure out, but they just, at this point, I just think they are what they are, and that's going to be a team that finishes in the top three or four in the ACC that is probably mm-hmm. going to end up being a top 15 to 20 team in college basketball. It's going to be a nightmare to try to score against, force a ton of turnovers, and, and we're all going to end up you know, in March being like, how come Leonard Hamilton is so underrated? He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Well, it's me giving him <laughs> Dude, that I do have one name to throw out there for Florida State, and he was probably the lowest-rated recruit out of their whole bunch, John Butler Jr., Seven foot one freshman, but weighs about 180 pounds. He's 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 real thin. Wow! They're not gonna they're not gonna play him at the four or the five position. That's gonna be fun to watch. They're gonna play serious size once again uh, in Tallahassee. And I think Leonard Hamilton, man, the fact that he keeps getting guys like that, Matthew Cleveland, John Butler Jr. is gonna be a fun one to watch. And then they bring in Caleb Mills, who can really score from Houston. Yes. And he's six five or six four, and I think he's the shortest player on the floor. Yeah, right. <laughs> I I have heard uh, heard from from people kind of in and around Tallahassee that John Butler is going to end up being really really good and really really mm-hmm. special, even though uh, he weighs fifty pounds less than me at seven foot one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phantom. We had another question come in from for uh, for you as well. And hold on, let me bring it up. I just I lost the question here. Before we move on. Let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up for Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their rush pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, it's more secure, and it's more reliable. Now that basketball season is tipping off, get in on the action at betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And while I got you here, let's talk about the Field of 68 Media Network, where college basketball matters most all year round. This is a digital media and podcast network that we've been building over the course of the last year. We have shows hosted by some of your favorite players covering the program that they love the most. AJ Guyton hosts the House of Hoosier. Eric Devendorf covers Syracuse on the scorer's table. Dan Dickow hosts the Gonzaga Bulldog broadcast. We have Florida's Patrick Young and Duke's Andre Dawkins and North Carolina's Shimon Williams and Michigan's Stu Douglas and Illinois' Deion Thomas. The list goes on and on and on. We have more than 30 shows right now. So hit the links below and check them all out. And while you're at it, make sure that you go check out the Field of 12 Media Network, your home for college football. I had it. Um, it's from Tristan Freeman as well. What is your bold prediction outside 
of the Big East. You can't. We don't want any Big East takes from John Fanta on this podcast. So, what is your bold prediction outside of the Big East in terms of, terms of teams finishing way higher than expected? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I've given some thought to this, guys, and and I think that when I look across the country, the the team that I could still see finishing higher than expected is actually Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I say that because Chris Beard departs, and so now the rap is, well, are they going to be the same? Long-term, that's a question. But short-term, you still have some of those main pieces that have had success and been a part of your success thus far down in Lubbock. So I look at the Red Raiders, and I see a team that that has a lot of guys that, that have been a part of their success trying to pull him up now in my in my notes here but you're talking about McCuller uh Shannon as well O'Banner like th- this is a team that has some of the key guys that have led them to wins and I think that just because there's a transition in coaching a lot of people are going to start to write off the Red Raiders and they might be surprised when Texas Tech is still playing a factor in the Big 12 so that's a team that I think is getting overlooked a little bit and I think everybody talks about Kansas, Baylor, and Texas, and rightfully so. There's no question that those teams are the top teams in the Big 12. But I think that Texas Tech is still going to play a factor in this league because they do have some veteran talent, and they do have, look, a coaching staff that understands what it takes to win in the program based on the transition. It wasn't like this was a, you know, as much as Texas Tech hates to see Chris Beard go over to Austin, they still do have remnants of what made their program as good as it has been in recent years. So I would go with the Red Raiders. I think that they're getting ridden off a little bit nationally and, and heading into this year. That's probably the case, whereas a lot of people are higher on the Texas Longhorns, and rightfully so. But don't forget about those Red Raiders just yet. Yeah, Texas Tech is is – they have a lot of talent coming in in terms of transfers. And it's a lot of guys that are kind of in that, like a similar vein to what Florida state is in terms of dude, six foot six to six foot nine that are going to be versatile and positionless and all those buzzwords uh, when it comes to, to players right now. The one thing I will say about Mark Adams is this, he's 65 years old and he's taking his first high major head coaching job. Uh, but he's also kind of like the brains behind what Chris Beard has been doing. Like, so the no middle defense, the defense that that Scott Drew won a national title with last year, he basically stole from Chris Beard and the the team that made it to the two, was the 2019 national title game. And that defense was I don't want to say created, but it was it was kind of implemented. And the brains behind it was Mark Adams, who is the head coach of Texas Tech right now. He's won a ton at lower levels of basketball in Texas. He is a JUCO legend. I believe he is a is he in the JUCO, the, the Texas Hall of Fame for junior college coaches. I, th- I think he might. I might be making that up. But um, he's he's a very, very, very smart coach. Uh, the one thing that I'm worried about is this. I think where Chris Beard's biggest strength is, is kind of being the guy that brings everyone together. Right. Like, I think that he was so good at taking all of these different pieces and molding them into a team and not just a group of players and not just a roster that's on a sheet of paper. Um, but I also think that that's kind of what Juco guys have to do every single year, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's Mark Adams spent 10 years at Howard college in Texas. He knows 
what it takes to have to take a bunch of guys that have never met each other before and turn them into a team that fits together. So I, I agree with you, Fitz. I'm kind of bullish on uh, on Texas Tech. Um, T.O., who do you have as the most underranked team heading into the season? Underranked or overranked? What's underranked. underranked. Oh, Washington State, baby. Pullman, stand up. Kyle Smith is an excellent basketball coach or supremely talented in the front court. And I'm just going to throw it out there and try to pronounce his name. But first, Deshaun Jackson is an excellent five-man. And then they have Ife Ibojidi, who is an all-freshman performer in the Pac-12. He's got excellent athleticism. He's about 6'10", 6'11", 250 pounds. Their rim protection is going to be elite. And then they have South Alabama transfer Michael Flowers coming up, who averaged over 21 points per game. He's excellent in ball screens, and he is wired to score, and he's really good at doing it off the dribble. He's going to work really well with those big guys. And then they also have Noah Williams coming back who's a scoring 6'5", 6'6", guard who can shoot it from the perimeter. There's a lot of weapons and a lot of options uh, for the Cougars. And people are excited about Washington State basketball. I I don't know what all there is to do in Pullman. I've never been there. But there's going to be some shows put on uh, at Washington State this year. And Kyle Smith's a head coach. Just got an extension. Yeah, he did. There's not a lot to do up there. And I, I love that you just gave a shout out to F.A. Abo, Abogidi, I think is how you said it. Maybe it's Efi. I don't know. I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Whatever he is, he's a stud. Yeah. Uh, whatever, however you pronounce it, he's a stud. He's really, really good. He, he's an absolute monster. Um, I'm going to go with someone else in the Pac-12 as my most underranked team heading into the season. And that's Arizona. I really, really like what this roster is for Tommy Lloyd. Um, I think that Umar Balo the kid that's transferring in from Gonzaga has a chance to be a monster for him. Um, the offense that, that Mark Few runs at Gonzaga is essentially like they want to get out and run, push, 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 push. But as soon as they get down the floor, the first thing they're trying to do is get the ball inside to, to somebody to seal on the point. Uh, that's why you saw guys like Shimon Karnowski be so effective there. That's why you saw someone like a Drew Timmy last season be so good. The first thing that Gonzaga is always looking to do is to try to get one of their big guys for a seal. And Umar Balo, the reason he didn't play a lot last year was because there's this guy named Drew Timmy on Gonzaga's roster. But I remember seeing him, I think it was at the U-19 mm-hmm. World Cup back in like 2019. And I mean, he played for Mali and this dude is a monster. I am telling you, he's like 6'11", with a seven foot five wingspan. He's going to split time at the five with a kid named Christian Coloco, who's one of the best defensive players in the Pac-12, I think has a chance to be a breakout star. They also have a couple potential pros on that roster and Benedict Mathurin. And I don't, I'm going to butcher the dude's name, but Azelius Taboulis, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, th- this is not a podcast for people that pronounce names the correct way. <laughs> Azulis Tabilis, I think it is. Azulis right? Tabilis. What, whatever his name is, he's that that dude. He averaged 12 and 6 last year, all freshman team in the Pac-12. Stretch four can really, really shoot it, going to help create space for battle inside. Mathurin is a guy, I think he ends up being a first-round pick this year. Just crazy athlete. They got, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. The, uh, Dallin Terry. They got Dallin Terry on the wing. Uh, they got Justin Kyer coming in, who played at George Mason a couple of years ago. Just a six foot five, real solid kind of combo guard. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about what's going to happen at the point. I don't know if Kirk Chris is necessary, necessarily the answer, but I have faith in Tommy Lloyd. I think there's NBA players on this roster. I think there's pieces that are going to work really, really well in the system that I expect him to run. And I don't. I feel like there's no buzz for him. Um, I, you know, I UCLA is the best team in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Oregon is probably the second best team in the Pac-12, but Arizona should be able to be right there. I think they end up being a top 25 team. I think they end up finishing top 
three or four in the Pac-12, and it just does not feel like they are getting the kind of attention that a team that is going to be that good should be getting. So I was looking at Arizona before the a while ago, and I had to call one of my Swedish sources, uh, Nick Ryacic, about their new point guard, Pele Larson. He's a coach's dream. And I think the fact that, one, at Utah, he didn't turn it over. He was a high-assist guy, and he shot the ball at a really high rate. Shoots. Not to mention, he's one of the best defensive perimeter players in the back Pac-12. I think the pieces fit at Arizona. I think they're going to be really good. My favorite thing to be, Fanta, and I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll let you go here and say, the, the best commercial of all time is if we went to like an Arizona practice and we're sitting there watching and we watch uh, Tommy Lloyd speak like eight languages because that might as, that might as well be the League of Nations in Tucson. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Tommy Lloyd does, and, and he was the right fit for that job. I think that Arizona is a program that has just been underneath a blanket like over these recent years, and, uh, and it's been a dirty one. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just been tough for them to, to be what they're capable of over in Tucson. That, that program is capable of making Final Fours. Uh, and doing it at a high level, but but it's been tough sledding. I think a new chapter here, Tommy Lloyd's the right guy for that. You know who's another one uh, that I think is getting overlooked? And you know why they're getting overlooked? Because a lot of people do not they, – they criticize the head coach a lot. But I look at the talent, and I see Fats Russell. I see Eric Ayala. I see mm-hmm. Dante Scott. I see Kudus Wahab, who was terrific uh, at the end of last season – the Maryland Terrapins should be a team that's sitting in the second week of the NCAA tournament. And I know that we say that every year. And I know Scott Van Pelt is probably like <laughs> just thinking, man, you know, we got to get there this year. And all those people in Terps Nation, because if they don't, I know exactly what they're going to say and what they're going to do. Maryland basketball gets criticized a lot uh, for not meeting expectations. They still have been a winning program. And when you have Fats Russell come in, to this program, Fats Russell is a gamer. I mean, mm-hmm. that kid is a winner and has done it anywhere that he's been. So I think that the Maryland Terrapins are going to be a team that probably gets underselected in the Big Ten, but could be a top 15 team in the country this season. And I don't think people are thinking of them in that light. But when you have um, Dante Scott and Kudus Wahab in your front court. You talk about play at the four, T.O. Mm-hmm. Scott is going to benefit with Wahab rebounding the basketball. And in that backcourt, they've got players. Like, the Maryland Terrapins should be a top 15 team. I don't think people are thinking of them that way, but I am. The most important word in that entire entire sentence, in that entire speech, the most important word that you said, Fanta, was should. Yeah. They should be that good. I'll just say this. Uh, I don't, I don't like piling on Mark Turgeon. Oh come on! <laughs> he made he made the Sweet Sixteen in two thousand six with Wichita State. Since then, he has been to nine NCAA tournaments in sixteen years, and he's been to one second weekend. That's it. That, that I, I'm not, I'm just going to say facts. We're just going to put uh, you guys can take it how you will. I'm just going to put that out there. The most important thing that you said was should. I will say this about Maryland. Last year, it was just a bunch of the same guy running around, especially defensively. And you could tell what they were trying to do. They were trying to get a bunch of 6'5 to 6'8 guys and switch one through five. 
that's what we're, they were trying to do. And then they tried to implement Chol Mariel, who ended up transferring out. He probably should have because he's not quite Big Ten level. They needed a rim protector. They got that in Kudus Wahab. Offensively, they didn't have any change of pace last season. And as far as the last 10 years or some odd years, I, I, I'm not going to speak on that. I'm just going to speak on what I saw because they came down to play Clemson. They didn't have a change of pace guard. Because they had Eric Ayala, 6'5", 6'6", going to set it up, kind of in the mold of Eric Snow, good player. Then they had Dante Scott, who I think is really good. Rumor is he's lost about 20 pounds. He's looking really good, ready to go. But they didn't have a guy that could speed up the pace when they need it. Fats Russell is going to change that. And this is going to be a team that will be able to vary up their tempo, vary up their speed, and they're going to be able to be a little bit more diverse in the way they can go offensively. I, I love Maryland. I think they're going to be really good. I think Turgeon's going to have his best team. Yeah. Fats Russell just plays the game with such an intensity. I mean, people might not remember – like they, they might just not think about this. Fats Russell played for Dan Hurley. And so I, I watched Fats Russell getting coached by Dan Hurley live back at Rhode Island. And Fats Russell not only changes the pace, he changes the style of the game with how hard he plays. Mm -hmm. And I think some of those other returnees are going to benefit off of that. So sometimes, like when we look at transfers, we talked a little bit about this last week with Kentucky. Who have they been coached by? Who have they been coached by? Good point. Fats Russell comes into Maryland, and who has he been coached by? He's been coached by some good coaches just at a different level, if there's a transfer that I would say is, you know, ready to go to the Big Ten and still be as effective, he is that guy. That's Russell is that guy. And his name is Fats. Like, you have to root for a guy that, that is called Fats, right? You just have to. There's no negative. There's no negative. No, no, no negative. No downside. All right, let's go to uh, the most most overranked team. I don't want to say overrated because I, I hate when people say overrated. The most overranked team in the preseason. I'm going to go first because I know that I'm going to get yelled at by John Fanta on this one. But I'm going with Villanova. I think that they're probably going to end up being a team that gets ranked in the preseason, like top three to five. Uh, I think that they are closer to being a team that should be in the like top the, the preseason top fifteen or so. And the reason I say that is they're essentially bringing back everyone from last year. All of their best players are veterans. I don't necessarily know like who's going to get significantly better for them outside of maybe Brian Antoine, if, if he can ever get back to being healthy, which I hope so. Like he was such a stud in high school and it just, I mean, his health has, uh, has not held up. He's got bad shoulders. Um, but like Colin Gillespie kind of is what he is, right? Which is a really, really good player, but he wasn't the best player on last year's team. Jermaine Samuels, great piece. A kid that's going to contribute to winning. Wasn't the best player on last year's team. The guy that was their stud last year was Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who I think was criminally underrated. He's gone. Who's going to replace that production? Who's going to replace that defensive presence that he had? Who's going to replace that secondary playmaking, that ability to space the floor at the five? You lose your best player as a team that kind of disappointed after being a preseason. Like It was Villanova, Gonzaga, Baylor heading into last season. Villanova was not in that conversation after about a month and a half. And they just lost their best player. So where where is that improvement coming from? I just they're going to be really good. They're probably going to win the Big East. They're probably a second weekend team. I don't think that they need, should be in the same conversation as some of the other top five teams. Am I wrong there? Go ahead, Fanta. Um, I have the concerns that you have with their supporting cast. I don't know what they look like. And Jay Wright does not go deep. Like he doesn't go eight or nine deep, but he he goes six or seven deep but he's had NBA talent when he's done that. So the question is, who's the NBA player here? Well, Colin Gillespie, no. 
Uh, Jermaine Samuels, I, I, I don't know about the offensive skill set. I think to answer your question, who is the player that could take off? Justin Moore needs to be the player that mm-hmm. takes off, the junior. And I think that Justin Moore is someone who can, because of how good Robinson Earl was last year, Villanova did so much around JRE to make sure that he was the one getting shots, and rightly so. Moore now is going to have more of a role to be able to take those shots. And what's Villanova always based on? They're, for me, they're based on a point guard who does not turn over the basketball, who finds the catch-and-shoot folks out on the perimeter who hit shots. Villanova's a machine at inside-out basketball, drive and kick. Villanova this year, drive and kick basketball, inside-out, not so much, but they, they beat you from outside. Villanova this year, like, they have more. They have Caleb Daniels. Um, they have a couple of other guys, but I don't know just how – I think they'll be good. What makes them great? That's the question for Villanova this year. What ends up making them great? They are not strong at the five position. Like, they're going to rely on Eric Dixon, uh, a transfer who came in last year, well, two years ago. Eric Dixon's a guy – who redshirted, actually. They're going to rely on him to play well in the front court. They have Demir Cosby, Roundtree back. He's been riddled by injuries throughout his career. So I don't know. You know, I, I carry some of the questions of what makes them a national championship contender. You could both be top 15, top 10, and we, we know who could be standing last. So for Villanova, that's the question. Here's the thing, though. They have as great of a game manager at the one slot in Colin Gillespie. And I would remind you guys, that Villanova last year, here's how well coached they are. They gave Baylor Baylor's biggest test throughout the road of the tournament. Villanova was up in that game, very shorthanded. Now they got those guys back, primarily Gillespie. With Gillespie, all things are still possible because he's been around the block so many times, and he's not going to make mistakes. And if you play mistake-free basketball, you're always going to have a chance. Villanova will have a chance against anybody they play. All right. T.O., give me your most overranked team heading into the season. I'm not going to say over overranked, but I'm going to say I, I have a little bit of uh, hesitancy about just shooing them in for the Final Four. I think that's UCLA. I think people forget that UCLA lost four in a row prior to getting into the tournament, and they were 11 seed, had to play in the first four. Like, that was a team that got extremely hot at the perfect time, and they made a lot of tough shots in order to beat a lot of good teams. To be able to have to hit – Tough shots consistently, which Jaime Jaquez can do that, but you're going to have to do that all year in order to keep your top five ranking. I'm a little hesitant. Tiger Campbell, I think, has to be tremendous this year. And because the the manner in which they play, and Mick Cronin likes to slow it down. He likes to grind it out game. You're going to make guys hit mid-range shots and all this. The games are going to be low scoring. It's going to open yourself up against teams that really shoot the three ball well at times. Look at Virginia, the way they play, slow, methodical. I'm not saying UCLA is Virginia, but they do play it around the same pace, maybe not as slow. But you're going to open yourself up to upsets because of that pace. And if you're not going to, if you're not hitting tough shots like they hit all tournament, uh, you can get beat. And the fact that that's such that you're going to rely on tough shot making makes me a little nervous for the Bruins. The I, I think. I agree with everything you just said. Um, the only point that I want to make is that I think bringing in Miles Johnson from Rutgers mm-hmm. gives them a different dynamic defensively. Yeah. Like I, I, 
look, Jaime, Jaime Hawkins, Johnny Juzang, these guys are, that, that's kind of what they do is they make tough shots, right? Like that's kind of what their game is. Um, it's a little bit risky to rely on that, but it's also, you know, you're, you're playing to your guy's strength. So I, I kind of get why they would do that. But Miles Johnson, I think their biggest issue last year was they couldn't, they couldn't really get stops, right? Mm-hmm. It was weird to see a Mick Cronin team that struggled the way defensively that they did. And I think just his presence in the paint, the rebounding, the rim protection, the the fact that he's what, like 24 years old. He's smart too. Isn't he? What is he like an aeronautical engineer? Mm-hmm. He's he's in some oh yeah, he's real smart. Yeah, he's in he's in some program that that none of us would be able to get into. So um probably uh, wouldn't I, be able to spell it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I don't even I don't even know what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just think I think his presence will raise their floor defensively, which is kind of why I'm like, okay, I can overlook all of the red flags about uh, not um, about everything you said in terms of being a playing team last year. Fanta, give me your most overrated team that we can get to some quick hitters and we can get out of here. Okay, so I'm seeing some rankings that have them as the best team in the Big Ten, and I need to see more before I think about the Mesbacks. I'm going to go with Purdue. Um, I, I know that that might be a little bit ridiculous, but <laughs> – like, with Purdue, I'm just a little uncertain still. Even though I love Travion Williams, like, I just think he's a Tonka truck in the paint, and that is a man's man playing down low. And Jaden Ivey and Eric Connor Jr. are going to assemble one of the better backcourts in the country. You know, Matt Painter is as good as they come, and, and I think I'm not criticizing his coaching at all. I just need to see the Boilers – now with some major expectations, fulfill set expectations. We have now seen Michigan here under Juwan Howard. It doesn't matter what the expectation level is. Juwan Howard is 42 and 17 as a head coach with the Wolverines. I still am I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Illinois, I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because I think Andre Curbelo is going to take a big leap and when you bring back players as good as Cokeburn and a big shot maker, Trent Frazier, you're going to be in a great place. I, I am not sitting here today, guys, and saying that I think Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten Conference. And there are national guys out there who disagree with me. I think there might be two right here. I'm not sure necessarily, but I think Purdue might be just a little bit overranked heading into this year. T.O., you got anything on that? He I does. love Jaden Ivey. I love Travion Williams. And, you know, it's not the one in the four, but a one in a really, really good five. And Jaden Ivey's had a terrific summer with the U19 national team. Uh, I think, you know, Paint's such a good coach. He's going to be able to put those guys in position. I have zero doubts there. Yes. I love the way Purdue has always defended. They've always done that. Zach Eady, seven foot five, is a huge presence whenever Travion Williams is not in there. So you talk about you take out your uh, All American and you put in a seven foot five center who improved so rapidly last season. It took everybody by surprise. I like the pieces that Purdue has. They're always going to have shooting. They have an, a supreme ball handler in Jaden Ivey. I think Purdue's going to be fantastic. So, are they a Final Four? Are they a team that you could see cutting down the nets in New Orleans? I'm a t- I think they can make the second weekend and get to the Elite Eight. I don't think that – I say that without any hesitancy. So here's, here's my concern with Purdue. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but Matt Painter is as good of a coach in the country at taking the talent that he has and making the best of it, right? The examples that I give you, when he had Isaac Haas and Biggie Swanigan, he literally set records for the most possessions that ended in post-ups – 
since like in, in Synergy's database, no one's come close. I think 24% of their possessions ended with post-ups and no one else has been above like 18% throughout an entire season since like 2010. It's crazy. Two years later, 2019, he made the elite eight with the team that set the record for the most three pointers attempted. Now he has another team that's going to be built around post touches. Right. But I will say this, and this is, I think a very, very important point in 2017, the year that they had Biggie Swanigan at the five, they were, uh, they shot 40.3% from three. They were seventh nationally in three point shooting. Right. The year that they had Isaac Haas at the five, they finished as a, I think they were a four seed. They lost to Texas tech in the sweet 16. Um, when they had the four shooters around Isaac Haas, they shot 42% from three. They finished second nationally in three-point shooting. The reason why they were so effective at getting their bigs touches is because you couldn't leave those shooters, right? It's like, what's the least efficient thing in basketball is a post-up, right? So it's like, all right, let's, if Isaac Haas is going to go one-on-one on the block, that's a better option than getting Ryan Klein or Vince Edwards or Carson Edwards a wide-open three-point attempt. Mm -hmm. This year, Jaden Ivey shot 27% from three last season, right? Trevion Williams attempted three threes. Didn't make a single one. Eric Hunter, I'm sorry, Eric Hunter shot 27%. Jay Nivey shot 26% from three. They basically have one guy that is a proven shooter on the roster. And I don't really know who is their, like, who's their four man if they're going to play Trevion and Zach. If you, if you can't play Trevion and Zach Eady together, who are you sliding in at the four? Do you have a guy that can kind of play that role? So I love the pieces. I think that Jaden Ivey is a guy that's a stud, potential breakout player. He has to make threes. He has to be a shooter that forces defenses to, to respect him. Same thing with Eric Hunter. He has to be able to get defenses out of the paint to allow Trevion to work, to allow Zach Eady to work. And that's my biggest concern with Purdue this season. They were great three-point shooting teams when they had their best teams under Matt Painter. I don't know if they're a great three-point shooting team this year. So, um I think I agree with both of you guys. I could see them in the elite eight. I could also see them being a team that kind of finishes in the twenties uh, nationally. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. But that's All the right. magic of this sport. That's the magic of college basketball. For sure. All right, let's get in some, into uh, some quick hitters and then we can get out of here. First and foremost, what is the non-conference game or the preseason MTE tournament, whatever you want to call those things that you are the most looking forward to this season? T.O., I'm going to start with you. Uh, I, I, I I took the gimme champions classic at the beginning, Duke, Kentucky. I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup because I'm excited to see how Kentucky's guys play together. It seems like they've pieced together correct pieces and I like the way Duke is uh, put together as well. I think it's going to be a heck of a ball game uh, to start out the season. Thank God. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the battle for Atlantis. I think that this has become the premier feast week event. And this year's field is fascinating. Big time coaches, you're talking about Tom Izzo and Michigan State. They're going to face Viola Chicago in an opening round matchup. That is a fascinating game, gentlemen, right off the bat. You've got Auburn, an Auburn team that Bruce Pearl's got the group now with, with key returnees that should be a top 15, top 20 team in the country. Well, guess who Auburn's going to face in the first round of that MTE? They're going to face UConn. And UConn's a team that, okay, post-James Booknight, who's going to be the alpha for that team? They're going to defend and rebound like hell, though. So Auburn better have themselves cleaned up defensively, ready to rebound the basketball in a test like that. Syracuse. I think Syracuse is getting a little bit underranked, a little bit underranked heading into this year. And they will take on VCU. Uh, VCU, you know, a, a team that 
I'm wondering what they're going to look like in that matchup. I think it's a really fitting matchup in the opening round of this MT. This this committee who assembled this tournament did a great job of putting together some really compelling games. And then the final one is Baylor and Arizona State, a game that I think that Baylor will win. Uh, I'm wondering what Arizona State looks like post-Remy Martin, what they're going to be this year. I think that Bobby Hurley has some questions to answer heading into this season. But think about this. In the same ballroom, Tom Izzo, Jim Beheim, Bruce Pearl, Dan Hurley, Bobby Hurley, throw in Bob Hurley, and Scott Drew. I mean, are you kidding me right now? My question, my question is, is do the Hurley sit together at any point on that <laughs> island? At any point, do they sit together for even one meal? No, my guess is no. But maybe Thanksgiving, like a, a quick like meetup? No, okay. no, sir. Especially if they end up meeting each other somehow, some way, no shot. They're on opposite sides of the bracket. It would be hard, but God, I got to tell you guys. A Hurley-Hurley title game? Actually, what's more likely is a a Hurley versus Hurley eighth place game. (laughs) A Hurley-Hurley title game or Hurley versus Bayheim on an island. Yes. Yes, that would be great. All right. Uh, For the record, both of you guys got it wrong. The the thing that you (laughs) should be the most excited about is the Maui Invitational being back in the Lahaina Civic Center. There is nothing better in college basketball than the Maui Invitational in a little hot, sweaty gym on an island in Hawaii that gets completely packed. It's a high school gym with wooden bleachers, and you have the best players in college basketball showing up. The field isn't great this year, but who cares? It's the Maui Invitational. That's like the pinnacle of the – that's what I look forward more than anything else during that Thanksgiving week, right, that Monday to Wednesday where you know from 3 p.m. Eastern time until – midnight eastern time you're going to get great games in that little old gym it's there's nothing better than the maui invitational all right if you can go to one one single conference game this season which game would it be to go ahead i have a a, a a game and then a backup game everybody knows about duke north carolina everybody knows about uh, here here's mine virginia at virginia tech middle of february it's going to have big implications come at the end of ACC time. Then my backup is Kentucky at Arkansas, February 26th, when yeah. both teams have figured it out, at Bud Walton Arena. I've never been to an Arkansas game, but I'm imagining the energy would be pretty high for that one. So I'm going to go that. Uh, just both of those games simply because of conference implications towards the end of the conference slate. What do you got, Fanta? Yeah, I've got to tell you, I'm going back to a packed Fog Allen Fieldhouse when Texas visits Kansas, I just think that that has a potential to be a wild game. They should bring – I love Bob Wischusen. Love him. Love him on Big Monday with Fran Fraschilla. I always learn something on that telecast. Texas at Kansas. Bob, if you were ever going to take – like, if we were ever going to move somebody else in – Brent Musburger should come back and call <laughs> that game with Fran Fraschilla because Brent would go crazy on Big Monday. He'd be revving everybody up. You're looking live at Lawrence, Kansas. I just think that Fog Allen is going to be crazy that night. Kansas, they're such a smart fan base. They're such a passionate fan base. So, like, they're going to be so revved up when Chris Beard brings his Longhorns in. And you think about the star power on the floor for that game between those two teams, the future NBA players that are going to be featured. Please make that a big Monday at 9 o'clock on ESPN. It needs to be when Texas and Kansas square off. So that would be one. My backup, I'm going to go a little bit of flavor here, a little bit of flavor 
St. Bonaventure at VCU. I think it'll be the premier game in the Atlantic 10, premier atmosphere in the Atlantic 10. Uh, typically, the A-10 gets that Friday night slot. Get that on a big-time TV network. St. Bonaventure looks like a team that is going to be a candidate to make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I love Mark Schmidt. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country because he, he coaches in only in New York. I'm buying the Bonnies again this year. St. Bonaventure at VCU, where VCU's atmosphere is outstanding. So the one game, if I could go to one single game this year, I want to go to the rowdiest environment, right? I want to go to the place that's going to have the craziest, probably the drunkest fans saying the most reckless stuff to the people that, don't, that are on the court, right? <laughs> What fan base in America hates any one man more than Texas Tech right now hates Chris Beard? So I want to be in Lubbock. I want to be sitting courtside when Chris Beard makes his return to take on the Red Raiders on February 1st. That's where I want to be. You know they do not like that, man. It's one thing if you leave to go to North Carolina. It's one thing if you leave to go to Duke. It's another thing if you leave to go to Big Brother Texas in the same league who, oh, by the way, is leaving to go to the SEC, might blow up the conference. I want to be there. I want to hear what those crazy rednecks have to say. Oh, that would be I meant that as a compliment, man. Like, this is, it's going to, it's going to get, it's gonna, I'll tell you what, whoever is producing. You said Red game, Raiders wrong. You said Red Raiders wrong. Yeah, Red, I, that's, that's what it was. I, I, it was a typo. <laughs> <laughs> whoever is producing that game. Is going to have like they're going to get a workout making sure they have to bleep out all of the noises coming from the crowd. We won't even be able to get any of the ambiance because you can't have any microphones anywhere near any of those fans because it's going to get reckless. All right. The one thing that you are most looking forward to seeing this season is going to be Fanta. Why don't you go ahead and start with that? Oh boy. You want me to start? I can start. I got an easy one. Okay. Go ahead. Read us, baby. The best thing about college basketball is the atmosphere, right? It's never going to be a better product on the floor than than uh, than the NBA. It's never going to be more popular nationally than football at any level is. But you have the best environments in all of American sports are college basketball arenas in January, in February, in March, and conference play. And I cannot wait to see those fans and those student sections back in those buildings. Yeah, I think that – so the natural atmosphere, of course, is the atmosphere, is the fans back in the building. And it bears noting, no sport has been more impacted by the pandemic than college basketball because the 2020 season was ended and then the 2020-21 season felt extremely abnormal in so many ways. So here we've gone two years now with really all that we can think of is that. You know what I'm excited for? Genuinely excited for the Pac-12 – to see if they can translate the success in the tournament last year to this season. So throughout the recent years, at least in the regular season, when the clock hits 10 o'clock at night in this sport or 1030 at night in this sport, a lot of people are watching a couple of minutes and they're going to bed because they don't have a reason to stay up. The Pac-12 needs to give America a reason to stay up again. And the Pac-12 needs to capitalize here on their surge and win in non-conference play, make some statements in non-conference play in November and December so that we can get some really compelling games in January and February in this league. The league has some broadcast TV slots here this year between Fox and ABC. They, they are able to get on national television. I want to see 
Holly Pavilion in all its glory. When was the last time we really were talking about UCLA hosting the massive game on a Saturday? When was the last time college game day, the college basketball edition, went over to Los Angeles to cover a massive college basketball game? So what I'm looking forward to seeing is, if they can, the Pac-12 giving fans a reason, the common fan a reason to watch again because it has been missing in a big, big way. It's been Gonzaga on the West Coast. We haven't seen much else. Can Arizona start to turn it around? UCLA is an interesting team. USC is a team that's a factor, and Dana Altman at Oregon has one of the great atmospheres in the sport that doesn't get talked about enough. Pac-12, I think they're back. If they are, I'm really excited to see what that looks like in the regular season when they become more of a talking point because the fact is the Pac-12 has not been a talking point. They've been a laughing stock. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Dastry. My, my answer is nowhere as good as that. Like I, but I will say this. I'm in agreement with both of you. Like the, the pageantry of college basketball, one thing that we noticed last season was college basketball is so much more than the game, and you alluded to it, Rob. Like it's the cheerleaders. It's the band. It's the fans. It's, it's uh, oh gosh, it's even the boosters, the people that sit on the front rows in the good seats. Like, there's so much intertwined. There's so much passion. There's so much hate. There's so much joy. There's so much emotion uh, to college basketball that would just visibly left out last season. And then, guys, I think all three of us in this podcast, we still appreciated the fact that it was still the game. But I think a large portion of why people didn't watch as much is because the energy cannot be felt from people from the gym to people's living rooms because that passion was not exhibited in the same manner in which it has been. I look forward to that more than anything. Just the whole, it's a show. College is a show. It, it, it's, it's not quite high school in terms of, of passion, and this is where I'm from, yada, yada, yada. But people take pride in their, in their universities, and, and it shows in so many different ways the traditions, whether it be – uh, you know, I'm even going to go football right now, whether it be Clemson at the Hill or, you know, what have you, uh, uh, Virginia Tech playing, playing music before the game. Like it is all those things and more. And I think that's such a significant portion of it. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I can't wait to hear the rock chalk Jayhawk chant in uh, the fall gallon or to see the camera crazies going absolutely bonkers on the sideline. Uh, the, the best part about going to those games to cover the games when you're sitting on press row is you have all these people leaning over you. And mm-hmm. it's kind of an unwritten rule for media members that you do not wear anything that is a light color when you go and cover a Duke game, because you're going to get paint on you. You're going to get, you're going to get, uh, there's going to be stuff on you. It's just that, that whole thing. I, there's nothing better than like the pictures where the, someone's taking the ball out of bounds and all you see is all the camera and crazy. Pointing at the guy, right? There. It's just, uh, I, I can't wait for that. that wow. is- and, and the energy this year and the energy yes. this year is just so different. I mean, I, I I've gone to two Clemson football games and there were complaints among boosters saying, Hey guys, look, the student section, we might as well just demolish that and just put seats there so that people who actually care about it and will bring the energy for their team, like we want them to have the seats. Students have been bringing it. And I think that's pretty much at every venue, whether you see Penn State at their football, uh, Michigan has brought it, even though they've had their issue. Like the passion is back with the students because they've been, I'm just going to say, students have been caged for a year. And like it's going to be, uh, I think the energy in the building is going to be some of the best that you're going to see in the last 50 years. Here's my question. 
what is the press row situation, Dalster? What what does press row look like at Madison Square Garden for Mike Shashesky's final act at MSG? I mean, you're going to have some of like the national guys who don't have anything to do with college hoops sitting there while taking this game in from the garden. I can feel it right now. I think that one Stephen A will be inside the building doing stuff on Coach oh, K that night. There is no question. 100%. It is going to be a scene. MSG is going to be insanity when he walks out of that tunnel. There, There is no better environment for a non-conference college basketball game than MSG. It's true. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, I, I don't think people really have – unless you've been there, you don't really have a feel for it because there's so many people from all around the country that live in New York that will come to New York if there's a game there that, that use New York as a destination to be able to have, like, a, a trip to go and, and build it around going and watching their team play. That it ends up being, like, 50-50 in that arena. But it's not like – split up so it's like on this side you have Kentucky fans on this side you have Kansas like everybody's just mixed in so it's like you have Kansas Kentucky Kansas sitting next to each other and it gets so loud and so rowdy I can I just cannot I'm, I'm getting fired up guys Woo! I'm ready for the sales all right listen we've been here for an hour we've kept you guys around for long enough I've kept Fanta and T.O. here for long enough having to listen to me ramble uh, as always, please like, share, subscribe. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a ranking, give us a review, say something nice about us in the comments. All of that interaction, all of that stuff helps. Uh, and Fanta, T.O., let's go Browns, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate you.